Hey everyone, welcome to Reformed Podmatics, hosted by the pastors of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. It's Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey, and this podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. All right, everybody. Hello and welcome back. This is episode 42 of Reformed Podmatics. I am Pastor Zach. And I'm Pastor Mark. And today we're going to be taking a deep dive into homiletics. What makes yeah. sermons good sermons? This is a pretty, I would say, reformed topic to even be asking. <laughs> uh, not to say that other churches don't have sermons, because obviously they do, but as reformed Christians, we take very seriously the value, the significance of the sermon. Uh, I think perhaps sometimes this might even go too far mm. as if all of all of church is about just the sermon. Yeah. Uh, I've heard it said that in, in certain parts of Reformed history, sometimes people would say, instead of, I'm going to church today, I'm going to sermon today, mm. uh, which I think would be illustrative of that uh, <laughs> tendency. But Nevertheless, we want to dive into this question of what makes for a good sermon. Uh, what, how do we evaluate good sermons versus not so good versus bad sermons? Yeah. Um, and so we're hopefully going to give everyone listening today a little bit of uh, a sort of hands-on guide for some tools to, to be able to think through uh, the sermons that you hear on a week-in and week-out basis. And so this is something for every Christian, whether you're in a Reformed church or not, uh, you're going to be listening to sermons. Sometimes those will be short sermons, depending on your context. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, I know churches, some churches who do eight to ten minute serv- sermons, uh, and I know some who do an hour-long sermons yeah. or even longer than that. And so yeah. Uh, we're going to be just asking some simple questions about what makes a sermon good, how do we evaluate this, and part of what, what should be helpful for us is that as we learn more and more about what makes a sermon good, uh, we can be sort of disabused of maybe the the bad grids that we have for mm-hmm. evaluating sermons. I think a lot of times people think they know what a good sermon is. Often mm-hmm. it's a sermon that just sort of makes them feel excited or Get happy or energized or yeah. warm and fuzzy yeah. or yeah, energized, motivated to go do something. Uh, and so they think if that's not happening, then this is a bad sermon and my pastor is just a bad preacher. Whereas their, their pastor may actually be a very good preacher. He may be very true to the word. He may be, uh, may be very, uh, I don't know, beautifully articulating law and gospel mm-hmm. uh, and their need for repentance and for God's grace. Uh, and this may annoy them. It may frustrate them yeah. to be brought back to these sorts of things. But Or they're uh, just comparing their current pastor to a different pastor that they used to have or is on TV. Yeah. And yeah. so that anything less than that pastor that they like is bad. It's just not good. That's very true. Today, we live in a world yeah. where that's all too easy to do, right? Oh, we yeah. listen to, to sermons. Uh, I know Mark listens to a lot of sermons. Um, and so people can get online and watch 
their favorite big pastor, whoever it may be. It may be a super conservative person. It may be a very charismatic person or it may be even a very progressive pastor. And so we can all sort of have our own personal hero pastors. And so then we just compare them to whoever our in real life pastor <laughs> yeah. is yeah. and maybe just think, oh, this person is not up to snuff. They're, they don't know what a good sermon is. Uh, but all the while, we may actually be the ones who who don't know. And this yeah, is a pretty right. common trend today in general of people thinking that they know more than the sort of expert in the field. So mm-hmm. their mm-hmm. doctor may give them a diagnosis and they'll disagree with it. Yep. Uh, then their doctor may tell them you need to follow this regimen for your diet or else you're going to have some severe problems. And they think... What does the doctor know? Yeah, or the coach tells him how to shoot the jumper. Nope, I know better. Yeah, exactly. I know better than the coach. You know, exactly. It, it went in a few ways, a few times when I shot it this way. So I think yeah. that, that individualism for sure is an enemy of fair analysis yeah. often of medical situations, of sports, and certainly of preaching too. So hopefully as we learn what a good sermon is, we'll we'll be able to have a a better perspective and we will be able to appreciate sermons better. That's really the hope. Yeah. And not every sermon is going to be an amazing sermon. Mm. I can go through my, my sermons and I could sort of tell you this one I think is better than this one. Uh, not all my sermons are home runs. And I would say most of my sermons are probably not even home runs, mm. but uh, there's something to be learned, I think in each of them. And so I think if we have a good approach to this, we can listen to sermons better. We can learn more from sermons. We can be uh, encouraged uh, in the gospel more by knowing what to listen for. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully this will make us uh, better better Christians who can sit and listen to to our pastors in their in their wisdom and in their their insight into God's word. Yeah, I I think um this might sound a little bit strange to say, but I do think every sermon should be good. I don't know if every sermon needs to be a home run, Yeah. but um, when a pastor is doing his work diligently and um, really digging into the text, mm-hmm. putting his heart into the work, I do think that every sermon should be good. Um, and mm-hmm. now we'll talk about what good means. Mm-hmm. Um, and some, hopefully, will be very poignant, very powerful. Um, but even a good sermon that's just sort of a, a single, you might say, to, to exactly. compare it to the baseball thing again. Like there's some that might be a home run, and then there are some that might be a solid single. Even the solid single mm-hmm. uh, can be a very powerful uh you know, hey, to take the baseball analogy further, you can win a game on singles. Yeah, you never uh, need to hit a home there, You know, uh, one of Derek Jeter's greatest hits of his whole career, the last hit of his career, was a single, mm-hmm. and uh, he won the game on it. Yeah. And that's what he'll be remembered as. And so um, I think that that works, to use that analogy for preaching, that, um, yeah. that, that, that could just be what knocks the run in for, uh, for some people. Um, I think of a story of, of, we've mentioned him before on the podcast of Beckett Cook. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was uh, living a very sinful lifestyle. He went into a church. The pastor, I, by Beckett Cook's own admission, preached a good sermon. It wasn't an absolute knock your socks off, powerful, yeah. um, you know, 
come to Jesus sort of moment, uh, you know, and, and probably in the pastor's mind wouldn't have felt that way. Mm-hmm. But for Miss Beckett Cook, the Spirit used that sermon, which was a good sermon, mm-hmm. to absolutely transform his life to turn it around 180 degrees. And and so yeah. um, Tim Keller talks about that in his book, Preaching, uh, where he says it's really the Spirit who who makes the sermon effective. Hmm. And for one person, that could just be a, sort of a, a single. For another person, it actually could be a home run, and it's really the Spirit that that determines that in a lot of ways. Yeah, um, that's a good point. And... Uh, but every sermon, as far as a pastor is concerned, should the pastor should be trying to make it good. And, and I think that, you know, I've heard your sermons, Zach, and they're good. They're all mm-hmm. good. And mm-hmm. um, and I don't feel prideful to say, I think my sermons have been good. You know, I've preached mm-hmm. the gospel. I, th- there's unction. There's zeal. There's passion mm-hmm. in the message. Um, there's truth there. And, and that's goodness in a lot of ways. Yeah. Now... Uh, I, I think that a lot of the episode that we're going to spend time talking about is how to differentiate at times between one that is good and mm-hmm. one that really isn't. I've heard sermons that aren't good, and and so maybe maybe even before we 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 have a lot of topics to cover: <laughs> preaching methods, uh, our favorite preachers, difference between yeah. teaching and preaching. But what would we say just right on the o- outset makes for a good sermon versus a bad sermon. What would you say? Uh, it sort of goes without saying. It's very, very simple, but also very broad. <laughs> I need to hear the gospel. Yeah. Uh, I need to be confronted with my sin, and I need to be then confronted with the gospel. So right there, off the bat, I think one of the first things is that any good sermon should have law, where we are shown our sin, and it should have gospel. Every good sermon should leave you in a place of worship, I, I think. Mm-hmm. It should make you in awe of God's goodness and who he is and in what he has done. That is the result of any of any good sermon. Yeah, and even by being in awe of God, that can... We, we talked last time about the charismatic church or two, two episodes ago, and that can, being in awe can have certain cultural understandings that would maybe think that people make people think they need to be just laid waste emotionally by a sermon mm-hmm. that's not really what being in awe must mean mm-hmm. and so I, I do think one could walk out of church with your head held high in awe of God um, in awe of the gospel at times I think every Christian should be moved emotionally mm-hmm. by uh, the gospel, whether that's sitting in your car listening to Christian music or mm-hmm. in your own Bible study time or prayer time or in the middle of a worship service. Um, and so that emotional reaction is a good thing. But being in awe of the grace of God, the glory of God, is not always going to look exactly the same, particularly as a result of a sermon. Um, so I would agree with that. I would say preaching the word. Yeah, um, yeah. Preaching. That's number two. <laughs> yeah, just just to be a good sermon must show confidence in God's word. Uh, it must yeah. show that the pastor is very very serious about the Bible, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and that is start that starts to 
lop off some preachers in, in my view pretty quickly. Um, yeah. Obviously, there's the Joel Osteen, um, you know, just, just not serious about the Bible. I mean, he starts every sermon with a joke, which, mm-hmm. which goes to show the seriousness of, of that moment, of the preaching moment to, in his mind. Um, yeah, how, how, how much is Scripture being, you know, returned to throughout the sermon? Yeah. Uh, it's very yeah. easy to just start with a passage right. or even just a verse, a simple verse, and then to just travel 100 miles away from that throughout <laughs> the sermon. And, and people are left wondering, what, what, what was that passage even about? Uh, your sermon didn't have anything else from Scripture. It was just all your, your own thoughts. And so for me, when I'm preaching, I like to continue drawing people's eyes back to the text yeah. uh, to, to make them know that what I'm saying, I, I hope, is very uh, clear in the text. And it's what you're, what you're hearing me say is true of what the text is saying. Yeah. Well, and that could just be one scripture reference through the whole mm-hmm. sermon so some mm-hmm. pastors think the more scripture I quote, the more I'm showing how seriously I take the Bible, mm-hmm. which actually might not be true. That's yeah, um, good point. Uh, it could just be that, um, that sounds strange. I mean, it's better to quote more of the Bible for that person um, maybe than, than to not do that. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it necessarily follows that just quoting a whole bunch of Bible verses shows... Uh, that a pastor has really worked through the topic and the text um, personally mm-hmm. so that it's just going to to sort of shine through in the sermon. Mm. Um, and, and that is where I... It's hard to put your finger on zeal and passion, mm. but I do think that a lot of Reformed sermons, sermons that pass as good Reformed sermons, are actually lacking in that regard. Yeah. Uh, are more teaching at times than preaching are not as personal both in the recipient sense so not as applicable to the recipient or personal in the preacher sense of hmm. communicating something that this pastor has really worked out this past week personally hmm. um, so I, I, I do think a lot of reform preaching Errors in that way. Uh, I, I think of the Christian Reformed Church, and I've heard a lot of sermons in Christian Reformed churches that uh, this is from maybe those in the more progressive wing and in the more conservative wing that are impersonal, and they're they're um, they're just not. They don't have the punch of a minister who is mm-hmm. delivering the God's word from his heart. Yeah, you can see that there hasn't been a true wrestling yeah. with the the material, the passage, and any any related passages, and this hasn't had an effect on that person's heart. Right. So that's maybe the third criteria. You, yeah. I think you got to hear the gospel. You obviously, have to hear the word of God. That's all. Those are almost the same thing. It's hard to even distinguish those. Yeah. And then, thirdly, you want to see that this person themselves has been changed and shaped buy it yeah and that's that's a, almost an intangible mm-hmm. uh, criteria or criterion um, but you you can see it and you can you can tell that this yeah. passage has has shaped this person's thinking and has become a part of who they are 
and they don't just hover over it and as that's as if they're the mouthpiece to present the passage to you mm-hmm. but you can see how it has hit them mm-hmm. and how they are they are wanting you to see that that life change uh, for yourself and I think a lot of that can be confused so some pastors would maybe listen to this podcast and think oh I need to show that this is personal for me and so I need to talk about myself a lot mm-hmm. no that's mm-hmm. not what I mean mm-hmm. uh, at all actually uh, there's I would say most sermons that I preach I, I don't talk about myself in occasionally I'll use an example from my life but I try to be a little bit careful about that mm-hmm. um but it does matter to me that people know this mat this this changed me to study this and yeah. and here's what i discovered um you know i think of uh jesus parable of the man who found the treasure in the field right and so he goes and he sells everything to to acquire that treasure that's the kingdom of god and the minister must show i found a treasure um, there's something in the gospel, there's something in the nature of Christ, there's something that the Spirit has done that is that I have treasured this week, and um, I want to share it with you, yeah. right? That so it's it's not really about cre- creation or um, eloquence, uh, maybe nearly as much as uh, zeal, passion, uh, a desire to to show people the treasure of God's word. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think also of John 6 where um, Jesus says, are you going to leave me too? There's all these people leaving after Jesus gives the difficult teaching on um, eating his body and drinking his blood. And Peter's response is, is great. It's, well, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so hmm. the, the pastor who is a good preacher will keep in mind that these are the words of eternal life, and so there's nowhere else we can go. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I, I think it, it's not as though he has to say that every week in order to communicate that these are the words of eternal life, although it wouldn't be a bad thing to say that, but there should just be the sense that people get yeah. in listening to a minister, this matters, these are words of eternal life. Yeah, it, it, it's sort of like if somebody's trying to share with you I don't know about their favorite movie. They're trying to, mm-hmm. they want you to enjoy the movie too. Yeah, yeah. If you, if, if they're just talking about the movie with a few bullet points, here's why it's good. <laughs> right. Here's where I like it. Or a restaurant, same kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. Here's why you should go there. Yep. But you can sort of tell that they don't really feel what they're saying. Mm-hmm. There would be a disconnect there. And so with the pastor, you you want to be able to see over the course of time, maybe certain weeks, there will be, you know, a pass. The pastor will will struggle with 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 a text and mm-hmm. and won't be, you know, spiritually on fire. That that will happen. Yeah. Um, but you should you should be able to see in a general sense over time your pastor really being affected by it, and you could hear it in his voice, in his mm-hmm. words, and in, in his in his conviction. And so that that commends something. If if somebody's telling you about their favorite movie and they're serious about it and they love their movie and they they're telling you why or yeah their favorite restaurant oh you gotta go there yeah it's so good you'll 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 be uh, more uh, willing to listen to them I think yeah um, and so I I think those are some pretty good uh, general criteria there there's 
the gospel itself clearly presented um, along with maybe uh, whatever that text is more broadly kind of placing that the gospel in the greater Christian story. Um, and mm-hmm. so I, I think that pastors need to be a little bit careful about being too rote or mechanical in incorporate the gospel into the service or yeah. sermon. Um, I, I know oh, yeah. of one family member that I have who goes to a church where the last seven minutes of every sermon is Jesus died for your sins and so mm-hmm. repent and believe the good news, which is, again, that's the gospel. That's a good thing. Mm-hmm. But it's so mechanical that people are becoming tired of the gospel. Yeah. That it's just this appendix at the end of every sermon. Yeah, that's a really good um, point. And, and uh, instead of, uh, so for example, I'm preaching through the fruit of the spirit right now, and I just preached about goodness okay, well, mostly we're going to talk about beauty, about goodness, about the goodness of God, how to enjoy God. And, of course, that weaves into the gospel where we must be born again in order to enjoy God. We must receive Christ, his goodness for us. And so the gospel presentation was fairly brief in my most recent sermon on goodness, but it was there, and I think it helps people see how Christ is on every page of scripture yeah and not in just a mechanical way but in some pretty amazing and creative ways mm-hmm. yeah that, that makes me think of one of my recent sermons where we're going through the belgic confession in the evening services and so i was preaching on uh, the deity of christ belgian mm-hmm. confession article 10 and so my question as i was thinking through that sermon was how do i preach the gospel where the whole the whole sermon is about defending christ's deity yeah right and so my 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 question that, that was coming to mind was, why does it matter that Jesus was God? And so, I think the gospel in that sermon, I didn't wasn't I hopefully hopefully wasn't adding it as an appendix at the end of the sermon, but but it was ending with the thought of why did he have to be God? Why couldn't Jesus yeah. have, have just been man? Yeah. He had to be God in order to endure the wrath and to be raised again. He had to be God in order to be perfect mm-hmm. um, and if he if he had been only man this would be man-centered salvation it would rob god of his glory yeah uh, so these sorts of reasons were i think me attempting at least to preach the gospel to to people uh, in a sermon that was really more of a teaching sermon uh, than a preaching sermon but the, but every sermon is something to be preached and we'll get into that yeah. distinction in a bit as well. Yeah, all God's promises find their yes in Christ. And so that's looking at an Old Testament narrative or a proverb or a psalm <laughs> finding its yes in Christ in and in the gospel itself in a lot of <laughs> pretty amazing ways. Um, Don Carson yeah. is a really good teacher, talks about how the gospel is like a diamond that <laughs> can be looked at from all these different angles and you're going to see it in a different light, it's going to look beautiful in each light, yeah. um, but it will look a little bit different. And so I think that that's mm-hmm. kind of how the gospel works in preaching, too. Um, yeah, so it's not always just the Jesus died for your sins. Yeah, thing. yeah. It can, it can feel that way a lot. And I would never, Spurgeon talked about one of the worst things that a Christian can do is bore people with the gospel. Hmm. Um, and some unregenerate people will be bored by the gospel, and so we shouldn't beat ourselves up too much by that. However, 
there is a way of presenting the gospel creatively, kind of with a, a hook that might be a little bit different each week um, that will be interesting, appealing, life-giving to, to people who are listening. So, yeah, definitely. Um, so I, I like this, uh, this question that we have on our little show notes here of uh, what is the difference between teaching and preaching? Mm, I think, okay. yeah, we can get I think that, that that's good to get into that kind of right away. There has been a trend really that's increased over the last five to seven years to where pastors will call their sermon their teaching time or their message mm-hmm. um, instead of the sermon. And... Yeah, even church websites will feel like listen to our teaching. Yeah, right. Listen to our um, pastor. This is teaching. our teaching pastor. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's common too. And or the teaching elder is sort of the Presbyterian way of of talking about the pastoral mm-hmm. role. So, how would you differentiate between what is actually teaching and what is preaching? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, I tend to think in my mind of a Venn diagram. Maybe mm. this is one helpful way of thinking that they definitely share a lot of things in common. Whenever you're you're preaching, you are in some sense teaching, but you can't say the same about teaching. You could be teaching without preaching. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so every sermon will be sharing insights. You'll be looking at God's word, seeing what God's word says, teaching what it says. But you're going beyond that. In seminary, a lot of what you you do in seminary is you just listen to somebody teaching to you you're not they're not exactly preaching to you um and so preaching is bringing the scriptures and the truth of god's word to bear on human people Mm. Uh, it's not just teaching them uh different concepts but it is actually applying it to their life with conviction uh it's it's um presenting to them the message of the gospel it's calling them to a new way of life it's, so it's a lot of exhortation i think so I, I think a lot of paul's letters are very uh preachy sorts of letters where mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. constantly going back to the gospel and then he from the gospel is calling them to a new way of life uh because of the gospel so one passage that i've been studying recently is Titus 3. And so Titus 3, Paul is telling Titus, teach the people to to do these things. And so he says to submit to authorities, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle with one another. For God has been gracious with them. And so he goes into the gospel. God has given them mercy. God Mm -hmm. has given them uh, forgiveness. God was was patient with them. So they should be patient with those outside the church. Mm. Uh, These sorts of ideas and concepts. And so Paul is rooting his exhortations in the gospel and that's that to me is very uh very sort of preaching it's more preaching than teaching uh, in that context he's not so much teaching them concepts about god he is calling them to a new mm-hmm. way of life and so that's yeah. that's my my way of distinguishing the two well, i i like to think of the difference between a textbook and the bible and if mm-hmm. if you can yeah i Everyone knows that the Bible is different than a textbook. Um, certainly the Christian with the high view of Scripture, um, a biblical understanding of the nature of Scripture itself, would recognize this book is meant to be communicated differently than a textbook is. Yeah. The Word is living and active. Yeah. And so it, it, 
it is yeah. meant for you. That Maybe that's what I mean by uh, how it's a different kind of book than any other book. And so the preaching event must, must recognize that this is a word that is ancient, but it is meant for you. Yeah. And um, it still speaks. And today. the spirit will apply it to to the lives, the hearts, the minds mm. of the people who are listening as he wants. Mm. And so I, I think that at times where where some pastors err, where some preachers might might go wrong, is kind of forgetting how the Bible is so different than other books that they could be reading, whether that's a kind of a political commentary book or mm. a biography. Um, it, it isn't handled with the same um, seri- gravitas, seriousness, mm. weight, um, as uh, because the, the understanding of the book itself is, well, you know, this is the Sermon on the Mount. It's, a, it's some good instruction for life. No, it, it's not just that it, mm-hmm. it's the word of god yeah um and, and i think that like i said earlier a good sermon has to has to have that punch to it has to have the the weight to it mm-hmm. so yeah gravitas is a big big part of preaching yeah. something i would add to the preaching and teaching distinction is that it's very helpful when people have been deeply taught um and so i think sermons and and pastors do better when their congregations are well taught and mm. well well catechized. Sure, they they know the faith. Um, this isn't always the case, though. Sometimes certain congregations are maybe it's a bunch of newer Christians. It's people who have who have just come to know the Lord. Which is every uh, church in the New Testament, right? Yeah. So <laughs> there's a lot of teaching that has to be done, uh, and that can happen in different ways. It can happen obviously in the sermons then it can happen in in bible studies it can happen in uh in for us sunday school uh, something that we we take seriously and so that's where we teach more than we preach Uh, but if people have that sort of deep backing that sort of foundation of good teaching i think that also helps them to be better listeners to the preaching Mm. uh, and to be convicted by it uh, and it's just helpful for understanding concepts that the pastor might say, and he may not uh, spend a whole lot of time clarifying. So he may use the word, for example, mm-hmm. justification. Mm-hmm. And any random person off the street would hear that word and not really be sure what was meant by it, most likely. But a Christian who had some sort of solid foundation with the word justification that you are being declared righteous by God. He is Christ is giving you his, his righteousness. Uh, you could think of those sorts of things. Then that word in the sermon being used, you will know what the pastor means. And so having that sort of foundation of teaching can help you be a better listener, uh, an examiner or observer of of sermons. Yeah, well and and then people are going to know how to talk about their faith hopefully in a helpful way also. Yeah. So good preaching will translate into good evangelism from the saints, I think. When preaching is only focused on the information, then that's not going to lead to good evangelism. And it makes the the people in the pew think that only this person can do that sort of thing. This is the right. guru up yep. here. Yep. 
the answer man. I'm not the, I don't know all these things he knows. He's just spewing all this gold and I'm just the, the lowly peasant, you know, right, right. he has to do the evangelism, not me. Yeah. And, and so a, a good sermon <laughs> will, will have information in it, but mm-hmm. it will, it will be logic on fire as, um, yeah, Martin Lloyd Jones called it. It will be logic with, with passion to it, with heart in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the other side, the ditch on the other side would just be all heart and no logic and no reasoning, just um, pure energy. And hmm. and that's not good evangelism either, mm-hmm. is, is if you were to just go to um, your unbelieving um, you know, coworker in the next cubicle and mm-hmm. say, wow, I was just on fire for the Lord and you know, my pastor was just going for it. That just sounds like craziness mm-hmm. to the non-believer. They probably want some reasons why they should believe that Christ is the Son of God, and yeah. uh, and so that information is essential. That's the gospel is information. Mm-hmm. It is a message about what Christ has done. So um, yeah. a good sermon should kind of capture both of those things: be informational to a certain extent, but also have that that heart, that subjective appeal to mm-hmm. the person, um, and. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's why preaching is a term that we do need to use instead of just teaching. Teaching connotes information without the the heart, the the personal appeal to it. Yeah, without the conviction uh, and right. applying it to, right. to people's lives. So speaking of good sermons, what are some different popular methods that have been developed over the years for uh, sort of coming up with or developing or writing a, a good sermon uh, it might surprise some people to know that there are sermon sort of structural methods that some <laughs> pastors use uh, maybe we can race through these because uh, this yeah. is a little bit more on the informational side but uh, in at Calvin Theological Seminary where I was trained the promoted method for preaching is the four pages of the sermon and um, to the four pages are uh, the grace, or sorry, the trouble in the text, the trouble in the world that relates to the problem that you've seen in the scripture text. Hmm. And there's the grace in the text that you're considering in that day, and the grace in the world. And um, that's one way that some pastors structure their sermons. I I doubt that there is any pastor that preaches every sermon in that way. Um, but it was a it was a helpful way to get started for preaching, I would say. Um, I, I think that there are various issues with it, and the greatest weakness of that model is that sermon writing can start to become filling in the blanks instead of really wrestling yeah. with the text and just just going with what God lays on your heart there. Um, so it can just be more concerned with well, my my fr- page one the trouble in the text is a little bit short and so I got to find some more trouble there and mm. and correspond that to the trouble in the world which is kind of a long section I got to lower that when when sermon writing becomes more like that mm-hmm. um, often there'll just be filler or uh, sort of just wasting people's time at a certain point mm. and uh, and then just less less zeal to it it's a good way to to think about structuring a sermon overall but mm-hmm. um, to be too dogmatic about it is is really not helpful. So no, I'm that's curious one. though yeah. what when it says grace in the world that that final point 
it's sort of where God's grace applies today in oh, our okay, lives. Okay. So it's not just like there's grace in the world and you got to go find it. <laughs> yeah, okay. I was um, thinking like common grace. Right. No, okay. it would be um, so if if the the grace in the text of the fruit of the spirit, hmm. well, obviously that is, would be that the fruit that the spirit fills us with fruit, you know, mm-hmm. love, joy, peace, so forth. And so the grace in the world would be how is that experienced in our day-to-day lives? So it's it's not a it's not a bad way to structure a sermon. Okay. It's pretty helpful, um, yeah. but uh, like I said, it can be kind of pedantic in mm-hmm. in finding. Oh well, mm-hmm. uh, we've got to just cover the four sections, um, yeah. and instead of um, sometimes just sort of going where where the Lord might lead you, which could be almost mm-hmm. all grace in one sermon. And mm-hmm. um, <laughs> one of my friends in seminary was assigned the beheading of John the Baptist for a sermon and um that text has no grace in it like there is there's in the text itself yeah john the baptist is beheaded and it's a bad story it's seedy it's shady it's sinful Mm -hmm. sin seems to win that day Mm -hmm. and john the baptist is killed (laughs) and so uh this person had to manufacture grace in that text quite a bit Mm -hmm. and uh, that isn't that isn't to say that it was like ended up being a bad sermon, but um, I think it shows that the sermon structure is not always going to be the best way of preaching every text. Yeah, because where are you? Where, how are you going to find the grace in that text? Right, um, and and maybe that then the grace is a text in the broader scripture, you know, the canon, yeah. which is fine too. But Right. I don't know. I can think of that. that would be one right. Or while well, the Jesus ministry began in a different kind of way after John the Baptist was beheaded, mm-hmm. so um, that I don't know. But still, you're sort of that's kind of glib, mm-hmm. <laughs> a glib response to the beheading of John the Baptist. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, anyways, that, that's one way to look at yeah. things. Uh, the the way that I really lean towards most personally is Haddon Robinson, who was a preaching professor at Gordon Conwell Seminary for many years, um, mm-hmm. and he, he calls his sermon structure the big idea. He would say that when uh, the, the minister must work to weave one big idea through the whole sermon, uh, presumably the big idea would be drawn from Scripture itself, maybe even a line or mm-hmm. word or a little phrase from the Scripture that can be uh, incorporated into an illustration, hmm. um, another scripture text, and somebody would walk away knowing this sermon was about um, how God shows his grace to us um, even though we're un- very unlovable or something like yeah. that. So so you always are just driving back to that one main point. Uh, similar to that is the yeah. three-point sermon. Yeah. Instead of just having one idea, you have sort of three big points. Often I find that sermons that fall under this category are much more didactic or yeah. just aimed at teaching. They're more teaching than preaching. Uh, oftentimes they'll they'll pop up on the screen. And sure. I know even in some churches there will be notes with fill in the blanks. And so you're supposed to catch the word and write it in your notes, uh, which isn't a horrible way of doing it. I think that that can be helpful. It has its place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these sermons, I, I, I've preached some three-point sermons before. Sometimes yeah. I f- feel like in the text there are three really good points that that should be learned. And so that, that I think that's a valid way. I don't think every sermon needs to be 
needs to be a three-point <laughs> sermon by any That's means. That's kind of the four-page problem too, right? It's right. like if there's two points, don't concoct one. Yeah. yeah. And then another f- final maybe uh, serious way of preaching is just the expo- expositional style where you are really just doing verse by verse. It almost Sermons like this almost feel like you're reading the Bible commentary. Yeah. Uh, you're looking at the first verse. Okay, for God so loved the world. Okay, what does it mean? that says God so loved, okay? So God <laughs> loved the world so much. Uh, he loved the world in this way, you might say, that yeah. he gave his only begotten son. Okay, Jesus was his only begotten son. Let's pause on what it means that Jesus is yeah. only begotten. And John Calvin preached He's his way. son, yeah. so his God's son, he is the inheritor of, of all of of all of God's kingdom. And so, uh, and he gave, so you can look at that word. And so you can just sort of go word by word. And that is a legitimate way of preaching. Uh, you're trying to really explain the passage in all of its depth. This, this pays homage to the word and uh, with a lot of reverence, a lot of seriousness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, some of my sermons have come probably like this, have come across where I'm just really following the logic of, of the passage. Uh, if you do this too much, though, you often will get stuck doing one or two verse sermons, um, which is pretty common mm-hmm. uh, in, in the sort of expositional sermon world uh, where, where pastors will just do a few verses every Sunday, and they it will take them sometimes years to get through a book of the Bible. Yeah. Um, the benefit, of course, is that people will become very familiar with what each uh, each statement is is saying or teaching um, often they can miss the forest for the trees <laughs> I think uh, yeah you, you start to miss that narrative arc yeah that we talked you're about zoomed earlier. in so much on a particular thing each Sunday that you yeah begin to to lose out and another I think concern for me with this is if you get too honed in expositionally you can do your people the disservice of having them not learn about God's word on a mm. broader sweep. Yeah. Um, and so a few years ago, I was excited. I think it was when I got here, actually, Pastor Mark was halfway through uh, a series on the books of the Bible. It was if oh, Sunday sure. nights. Yeah. Uh, you would you would do one book of the Bible each, each week. And so you, you walked through uh, all the books on a sort of zoomed out mm-hmm. scale and help people get an overview for what what was actually contained in their Bibles. And I thought that that sort of thing is really helpful. In today's biblically illiterate world, uh, I think both both really really zooming in can be really good and sort of zooming out and getting a broader understanding of how all Scripture fits together uh, in a coherent whole. Yeah. So that'd be one of my critiques of the straight up expositional oh. verse by verse, line by line sort of style. For sure. Like I heard a a good criticism of that where I, I think it was John Piper who once said that we live in a very transient culture and it's every church is going to have people who are members of your church for two or three years and hmm. they they move to town for a job they get a different job and they move away yeah and so would you want somebody to come to what I want somebody to come to my church and only hear me preach from Proverbs Mm-hmm. for three years like no that's just <laughs> they're not they're not going to uh to get what they need fully they're not going to get a balanced meal from god's word yeah um 
if if that's all I've focused on for their entire duration of time mm-hmm. at at this church, um, thinking of the same thing of older people, there there are people who become believers later in life at our church very regularly because we our church is located next to a retirement home, and so people come in, and it's the same kind of thing. I I, I spent yeah. the better part of a year in Exodus, and so towards the end of that year, um, which I preached straight through the book, I was starting to feel. We need a broader view of Scripture than just this Exodus story. Now, Exodus is a very diverse book with a lot of yeah. different kinds of stories in it, yeah. which is, is good for that. I mean, it has the Ten Commandments right in the, the middle laws, there. Architectural a, stuff. Yeah, deliverance, uh, tabernacle. Mm-hmm. There's a lot there. There's miracles. Um, there's teaching. There's interesting narrative twists. And so Exodus is different, say, than Romans in that regard. I've heard of one church spending three years in Romans, mm-hmm. and um, Romans is a, is a very particular theological type of book, and so I would I would want um, my church, as I'm shepherding them, to hear more than just the theology of Romans and uh, to see some of that, say, in a gospel or the Psalms or mm-hmm. some Old Testament narrative. So I think it is good to jump around uh, in genre. I pay pretty close close attention to that as a pastor who writes who who comes up with a sermon plan. Yeah, I think in in all of this, you might be wondering, well, okay, well, what is you know what's the right way to yeah. be, to to preach a sermon? And I guess my answer, at least, and maybe I speak for you too, Mark, is that there's not always just a right way to preach yeah. a, a sermon. Um, there are certain things that I think you you must do sort of as we said at the beginning, you must be biblical, you must preach the gospel, and you must uh, have dwelt with the text. You must have, you should, on on Sunday, you should sort of be like Moses coming down from Mount Sinai where his face is glowing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that sh- You should have that, that light of scripture in you now, and you are ready to share that with others. This may not happen every week. There may just be issues going on in the pastor's week or life that are yeah just difficult and what he he's just getting up to the pulpit and trying his best <laughs> yep. um, on a Sunday that that very well can happen but uh, there's not any one method that is an absolute requirement uh, and I think if we look at the book of Acts too you see different mm. kinds of sermons yeah um, see different responses to sermons yeah you see too. different responses you see different drawn on assumptions so uh, you see Paul's sermon in Antioch at the synagogue he is walking through the Old Testament scriptures and the story and yeah. showing how they all point to Christ mm-hmm. because he's speaking to Jewish people yeah uh, you see his sermon to to the Greeks in Acts 17, and at Mars Hill, and he is speaking to to Greeks, and so he's using uh, sort of their common supposition presuppositions. Yeah. Uh, he's using their their own philosophers and poets in order to make a point about this God in whom we live and move and have our being, and who stands in judgment over all of us. Sure. Uh, and so he's using some of the like the common ground that he would have had with these Greeks. Uh, to preach the gospel to them. And so his sermons are not following the four page method or the three point method. He's just trying to make a point and bring that point home for his listeners that there is, there is good news in Christ and that 
there is now a call to to believe this gospel mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and to to trust in it and to turn from our sin. And so this happens in different ways in different yeah. contexts. Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, who's like he's already reading the Old Testament. And so Philip is, well, let's talk about Isaiah 53. Um, And uh, I think that's maybe another criteria for the good sermon is it keeps the target in mind. Hmm. So uh, there's the the focus on the scripture. Mm -hmm. You need that content that Mm -hmm. must be correct and, and true. But, and then there's the delivery. That's the, the minister must urgently, passionately, uh, share what he has discovered in God's word, hmm. but then the target as well. Uh, that mm-hmm. uh, I, I often, when I can remember to do this, it, it's very helpful. Uh, keep in mind that a middle school girl and an old man in a in a mm-hmm. in writing a sermon. It's like, mm-hmm. would this be generally helpful to a middle school girl? Uh, yeah. Sometimes no, and I need to loosen certain things up or tighten other things up and yeah. and then for the the old man like is is this man going to be helped by hmm. uh by my message as well if i can put it through that filter and think about the target then hmm. the sermon would probably be improved uh that's a really good point so let's let's jump to some uh some of the nuggets of wisdom that we have acquired over our years of preaching and thinking yeah. about preaching, um, what would you say is, is one that, that you would want people to be aware of from listening to the podcast? Yeah, one of the, the first things I can remember when it comes to preaching is what one of my old pastors, Pastor Ed Izaki from Kingsburg Community Church, uh, <laughs> shout out to him if he's listening, <laughs> he would often tell me, Zach, more is caught than taught uh, when it comes to preaching. And I think what he was getting at here was that the ethos is often just as important, if not in some ways, more important for the church. Um, so in a sermon, this your attitude in your sermon, mm. uh, the way that you are showing how what Christianity means to you, what the gospel in particular means to you, what God's word means to you. Uh, often it's those sort of uh, body language sorts of cues or just sort of off off the cuff sort of statements that you make, whether they're serious statements, whether they're you're joking around up in the pulpit, all these sorts of things are communicating more (laughs) than you could possibly know. And so what he would often tell me as well was that in the pulpit, you are in some sense creating a culture in your church. Uh, You are making a certain attitude or way of being a Christian, a normal thing. Um, And so if you're, if it's all excitement, you're making that normal. You're you're sort of normalizing that, um, <laughs> and so if you're if you're if you're being very very stern, you're normalizing sternness from the pulpit, uh, and so hopefully what a preacher is able to do is not just communicate truth with his with his mouth, uh, but also to communicate truth with his whole being from not not yeah. just from the pulpit but also yes from the pulpit. Yeah, uh, you are shaping your your community in a certain way. Um, and that's really important and that needs to be understood by anybody getting up into the pulpit that it is very serious. And that's how in some ways you're shaping that middle school girl. Maybe she's not comprehending mm. all of your yeah. your statements, your propositional claims, but she is getting 
what Christianity means to you one way or, or, or the other. Yeah. Um, and, and so a lot of that is shown in dress. Yeah. So like you yeah, think of totally. Rick Warren's uh, Hawaiian yeah. shirt. Hey, uh, come as you are. God is casual. I'm casual. We're yeah. all casual here. And yeah. uh, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. And, and on the other side of that, you would have churches where it would be unthinkable for a minister to preach without a suit on. Yeah. Uh, that's a problem too. So is God yeah. so serious and so uptight? Yeah. That's what suits represent you in our culture. You itchy suit that you don't like. Yeah. And I think a lot of, like, a lot of older people <laughs> have that memory of sitting in church with the very uncomfortable clothes that they were sure. forced to wear. Let's be uncomfortable for a little while at church in yeah. the hard pew. And, the, and so obviously there's a lot of different places in between. Um, the, the, wool suit and the Hawaiian shirt um, or the cowboy church or biker church or whatever. Um, but <laughs> yeah. uh, but that does communicate something about the nature of preaching mm-hmm. and maybe even a little bit about the character of God uh, as well. So yeah. I, I do think a lot is caught and we need to be aware of what people are catching mm-hmm. um, based on the, our, our uh, cultural uh, signals that we're sending. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to be aware also that no pastor is going to be perfect. Yeah. We're, we are not Christ. Only yeah, Christ can right. get up there and perfectly, <laughs> right. uh, not only teach, but have people catch the right thing. Yeah. Uh, and so we want to be like Christ, uh, all Christians, but particularly pastors so that what people are catching is not my idiosyncrasies, my, my personal ways of thinking, mm-hmm. my personal attitudes, cause they're not always great. Uh, but they're seeing Christ's attitude, yeah. uh, and so they see they see a lot of the dichotomies. They see seriousness, but they also see graciousness. They see um, sternness in some sense, but they also see joy, yeah, humility, uh, and confidence. Yeah, all these like, things should be yep. should be captured yep. uh, by by a pastor. Yep. Um, and again, you're never going to be perfect at it, but that is part of the the aim in preaching. Yeah. So one of mine would my nuggets would just be basically be to read the book The Greatest Fight in the World by Charles Spurgeon. Hmm. Um, it's a book that uh, it's it's really easy to read. I've never heard of that there's, one actually. There's a gem on every page of it. He's the master illustrator. Uh, I don't think there's ever been in the history of the church a better sermon illustration producer than Charles Spurgeon <laughs> um, of just little little word pictures. Um, he's so genius in, in his creativity there. And so uh, he also weaves that into lots of scriptural teaching. And so The Greatest Fight in the World is the fight of the minister. It's a book that was written to ministers. It's a basically some talks that he gave to some pastors about um, being confident in Christ, being confident in God's word, and setting yourself to the work of preaching. And so um, the greatest fight in the world is this battle that the Christian undertakes against evil in the world. And um, we do so with God's power behind us. So um, yeah. it's it's a really good book. It's, it's about 100 pages. Uh, one little example of something that he talks about in there is... Um, He's he's just in awe of the fullness of truth in the Bible. So he says uh, at one point, you know, over 
over time, he's concluding his ministry. I've ministered, preached for 40-some years, but I've never run out of anything to say from, from the Bible. And he uses the example of the woman who touches the hem of Jesus' garment, and he said, that's all I've done of Christ. I've only barely touched the hem of the Bible, and what truth has flowed from it? You know, and, and so just a lot of word pictures like that. Uh, and, and you'll be inspired to preach. If you're not inspired to preach, uh, and you are a preacher, and you're ordained to do that, after reading this book, I really would wonder if, if you should continue um, <laughs> being a pastor. So hmm. it's just that good. I, I received it at a, Together for the Gospel. Uh, it was in their book list that they, that they oh, distributed. Nice. So anyways... That's- that's a good practical one. Pretty easy yep. thing to do. Just go read it. <laughs> yeah, it's 100 pages. It's a really easy read. It's really enjoyable, very devotional. Hmm. So what's another nugget that you would, would say? So we've already want? kind of got at one, uh, which is what John Stott, the famous British pastor of the 20th century, would call double listening. Um, and he wrote about this in a book called The Contemporary Christian. But I actually uh, first discovered the concept in an essay from Alistair McGrath, another British, he's living, alive still today, mm-hmm. uh, British theologian, church historian, uh, sort of a, he's, he works in the sort of intersection of science and, and theology, but he writes a book uh, called Mere Discipleship, and in one of the essays there, uh, he talks about John Stott's uh, principle of double listening, which is essentially just learning to listen faithfully to what scripture is saying. Mm-hmm. And so to understand it, to exposit it, to to be able to do proper exegesis, to get what it is saying in its own context, and then also as the, as a pastor, you should be able to listen well to the world. So to listen well to the way the world talks, so you should know how to express biblical truths in in these sort of statements and phrases and idioms of our world. But also more than listening to the way our world talks, is listening to the way our world thinks. And being able yeah. to confront the way our world thinks with the truth of Scripture, uh, and so this idea of double listening is is really helpful. I think it's not just John Stott's thing. I think he he <laughs> coins the term double listening, but this is sort of the the idea of pastors uh, re- re- holding a Bible in one hand and holding uh, the newspaper yeah. in the other. I think yeah. that was. Uh, Carl Bart. Carl Bart who yeah. said that. Yeah. Uh, that. That's sort of the idea. Um, it's, it, although it's not just the news we want to get to. <laughs> yeah. not, we don't want to just be overtaken <laughs> by the, what's going on in the daily news, but we yeah. should be more just aware of how our culture thinks. We should be uh, exegetes of, of culture. And so that's, that's helpful, uh, yeah. I, I think, for me. Yeah. But another one that I always try to apply is not preaching to the choir. Don't just preach to what the people want to hear. Mm. Don't preach to itching ears. Uh, so this requires you to know your congregation, to know their their tendencies, their temptations, to know what they would like to hear mm-hmm. versus what they need to hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so knowing how to apply the law and the gospel to, to people in your congregation. Um, and so... And Sometimes this to, will get you into trouble. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that gets to do we preach for God for God's glory or for our glory to some extent. Yeah, yeah. And so it's very easy in in many churches today in preaching to call out the sin of those people over there, yeah. you know, out outside this building, right? And for us to act as if we are all good. Uh, and, and so for me, I always try to say, 
let's not so much worry about the people out there. Let's worry about our own sin. Let's worry about our own ter- tendencies and errors yeah. and, and ways that we go wrong and in I th- our thinking. And I think everyone, when they hear that description, would think that's what theologically conservative Christians do. But I would, oh, I believe far worse are the more liberal um, so-called Christians hmm. at this. Like, oh, they oh, yeah. they vote this way. Yeah. They want to stop people from voting. They want it. Like, it gets super political and yeah. preaching to the choir. And yes, in theologically conservative churches, mm-hmm. but it's right there, maybe even more so right now, I would say, in theologically liberal congregations. Yeah, thinking we are the good ones. We got it right. Let's pat ourselves on the yeah. back. We're all so about if justice. A, if you're in a conservative and, yeah, right. church, your pastor may talk about you know, how, why, it's, why Christians should be anti-abortion, and everybody mm-hmm. will leave the service thinking, oh, man, just gonna, I just got to pat myself on the yeah. back because I, I voted Republican, so I don't have to worry about that one. Yeah. And that, I would say the pastor maybe has failed in certain mm-hmm. ways. And then mm-hmm. if you're at a, at, a, at a more progressive church and your pastor is talking about the evils of capitalism, everybody may walk out patting themselves on the back like, oh, man, I'm not a capitalist, so I'm such a good person. Go me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think a pastor worth his salt should be willing to confront uh, the sins, uh, the, the errors of his people. And this will often get him into trouble. Um, and there's a certain fine line. Sure. Uh, you don't want to just be abusing your people spiritually yeah, every week, yeah. but you do want to be confronting them with the truth of scripture. It's uh, along those lines. I'd be curious if anybody listening has ever heard a sermon preached at a theologically progressive church that confronts things like critical race theory, uh, Marxism, um, idolatry of crea- of nature. I would love to hear that sermon, or uh, especially a, a one of these pastors giving a very very serious sermon about sexual immorality, hmm. which is in the Bible. I would love to hear an example of that. I have never heard an example of those things being mm-hmm. confronted in uh, theologically progressive churches. I have heard mm-hmm. conser- theologically conservative churches talk about nationalism and mm-hmm. um, loving your guns too much. Uh, you know, some of these things, sort poor. of the pet the pet projects or, or, you know, the idols of, mm-hmm. of a lot of politically conservative people. I have heard those things confronted in yeah. theologically conservative churches. I would, I would love to hear an example, especially in that example of sexual immorality. Like mm-hmm. is, has anyone ever heard a sermon that is hard hitting on sexual, let there not be a trace of sexual immorality among you yeah. um, or Jesus message to Thyatira you do not tolerate the prophecies of the prophetess Jezebel hmm. who encourages sexual immorality. Like, I would love to hear one example of that. So, anyways, um, <laughs> that's a yeah, little bit of a rabbit trail. To the choir. I, I would love to, like, please prove me wrong, but I just really doubt that those types yeah. of sermons are being preached, that God's there word is, is faithful. And the sin is over there, and those people. Yeah. And I see that so much in, in what I read from the Office of Social Justice and mm-hmm. the CRC and really uh, the sort of progressive wing of the 
Christian Reformed Church in a lot of ways right now. So um, along those lines, I would say my last nugget, and then we'll wrap things up, would be that the tone of the sermon must match the tone of the text. Great point. And so um, this this requires that a pastor is fairly flexible in the tone Mm -hmm. of preaching Mm -hmm. in general that there, there's more than just one voice that the pastor has. I know I've said on the podcast before that the, the shepherd must have two voices, to one to scare the wolves and the other to comfort the sheep. And so there are a lot of ministers who kind of can't preach. Um, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You know, a Mark Driscoll and John MacArthur would have a hard time saying those things. Hmm. Um, comfort, comfort, my people. You know, hmm. uh, your your hard years of service have been have been are done. Um, was that Isaiah forty one? I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the the comfort of Scripture. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to give you yeah. peace and a home and a future. Um, you know, the Driscolls and MacArthur's of the world will kind of end up saying, "So get it together, you losers." <laughs> You know, that's not what Jesus is saying. Quite that's literally not... tone deaf to, to Scripture. <laughs> yeah, not right. Not the tone that it's being, being said. Yeah. That and, it's being communicated in. And, and it's just like, uh, take it or leave it. Well, no, that is not Jesus' word for um, the woman at the well. Uh, he had a hard word for her, but he, he offered her living water. And and um, yeah. same for Zacchaeus in John 3 and, and for Zacchaeus. Or for Nicodemus in John three and for Zacchaeus in the Gospel of Luke, salvation has come to this house today. You know, there should be celebration in a lot of texts. Well, also, if a text mentions hell and judgment, um, yeah. that should be a sermon where people leave the sanctuary that day feeling the the seriousness of urgency. of sin, the urgency of the message. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus preached in that way too. So. Uh, I would hope that that the sermon uh, would always match the tone of of the text. That's that's one thing I, I try to do. I don't always get it perfectly, but yeah. um, it it does matter a lot. For again, the point is to communicate God's word. The mm-hmm. point is not to express my personality, which might mm-hmm. lean in one direction or the other, whether that's serious or um, more jovial. But it it's to to say what God said here in the best way that I can. Yeah, one something to go along with that. I know we're wrapping up, but it reminded me of a point that I, I learned in seminary. I don't know how I learned it, but I learned it somewhere that the reading of the passage that's in, in any given sermon on any, any given Sunday is just as important as the sermon itself. Yeah, uh, that's good too. So my, my old pastor did tell me before this, he would say, Zach, read it well practice reading the passage yeah. before you read it uh, and so it sort of fits the, your idea with tone because mm. whatever the passage is getting at your tone should fit that as well and so if it's Paul in the book of Galatians and he's saying I can't believe you're already abandoning the gospel <laughs> right your yeah. reading should sort of have that tone and urgency with it like, what's going on yeah what's yeah. what's happening here <laughs> yeah right and that your sermon could have that tone too yeah uh and so similarly if we're reading a gospel narrative you can read it as a story you can read it not not read it don't read it in a cheesy way but read it as a story have a sort of storyteller tone in your reading 
Uh, so maybe that's something yeah. that somebody could could learn as well from listening to this is and read your story read your passage well and a preacher is going to love doing this like one who is called to do this by god's spirit is uh i love to think about that kind of stuff how did jesus say today you will be with me in paradise yeah like that's that's fun to think about actually for me um how am i going to say that when i read those words in um in the text of Luke there at the end of the Gospel of Luke. So uh, that those are good questions that uh, I think a good preacher will be asking uh, about tone, about what is God's word here for these people who are going to be in front of me, um, given that I know them and I care about them, um, what what do I believe God is, is prompting me to say? That's really the question that the preacher asks every week. And mm. so... Um, Thank you for uh, listening. It's a little bit longer episode, but hopefully it's uh, held your attention because it does matter. And um, I hope that it wouldn't prompt people to move into a spirit of criticism towards their pastor. Yeah, Um, I actually hope that just the opposite happens, that if you perceive your pastor is preaching the gospel, he's putting his heart into his work, Um, he cares about feeding the flock, um, just as Jesus said Peter should feed his sheep, um, then beyond that, um, there might be different emotional things that do or don't happen during the, the, the message. Um, there might be things about your pastor personally that you like or don't like. Mm-hmm. But um, I would encourage people, listeners, to withhold criticism if those benchmarks for good preaching are being met. Yeah, part of this is about contentment, too. God yeah. has put a certain pastor in your life, uh, and so... You may not like everything he has to say. You may not like everything about his personality, but for whatever reason, God has chosen to to put him in your life. And so yeah. you should learn to appreciate him as much as you possibly can. Yeah, and um, so let us know what you think is good, or maybe even if people uh, are have heard a really great sermon recently, you can throw that in the comments of the Facebook page or yeah. uh, let us know in some way. So thank you for... Uh, listening for spending your precious time with us here on reform podmatics and have a great week yep see you guys god bless